praise the Lord. I just wanted to, to touch on a few things. I, I was inspired by David Barton, and I posted something on Facebook. So if you're on Facebook, if you'll go look that up uh, and, and just take some time to look at it. I think it's maybe 43 minutes, but it really is amazing to hear someone who's very knowledgeable in that area to talk about the history of our nation and the things that we've missed in the founding of our nation. I, I never knew. I, did you know that... Um, when they convened that Second Continental Congress, um, that's the, the, Cong the first time they got together. It was kind of a mess, but that time when they came together, they were intentional and they were wanting to, uh, to develop and finalize the Declaration of, of Independence. That when they got together, that they, for the first two hours, did nothing but pray. And then they went into Bible study, and they had some chapters that they studied together not just for uh, the, the sake of going through a religious exercise, but they were seeking God's direction and guidance in how they should move forward in this dangerous transition from being a, a colony to being an independent state. And uh, I, know that, um, I know that John Adams felt like, and he was, he was very much a proponent for pushing towards being an independent country, but one of the things that he said, the British had already put some things legally in place in Parliament over in England. He felt like that they had already distanced our nation from themselves by what they had done. So he felt like it was just kind of a ratification and a, a, a consolidation of an identity for our people. But um, I, if, if you don't mind, I'm just going to read a few things that are historical to us because I think it's important that we revisit these things. And, and what I'm doing is so minuscule compared to what you would get if you'd go and listen to David Barton and get him to take the opportunity to hear him. He's, there's a lot of things out there. What I uh, listened to on, on Facebook and what I posted on Facebook um, will give you a much deeper view. And some of you may look at this and say, this is not very spiritual. I think it's deeply spiritual. And let me just read from the Declaration of Independence. And this is just the beginning of it. There's so much in there. I learned so much, but this is just some things that may be familiar to us. This is the Declaration of Independence, um, and we celebrate what was done on July 4th, but knowing how technology and things worked in that day, they wrote the Declaration of Independence. They crafted it and made some adjustments to it. They kind of agreed on it, and then it, it took a little bit longer to disperse it because they didn't have computers and printers and things like that. It took a while to be able to put the typeset together to be able to distribute that out to the colonies. But this is how it starts out. <clears throat> when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of, of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare such causes which impel them to the separation. So they felt like that because they were being separated, they needed to give a reasonable explanation of why they were doing so. And then they come into this familiar passage. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
And that's as far as I'm going to go. But there's a lot more in that. I don't know how long it's been since you've read the Declaration of Independence, but I'd encourage you to go back and read it. I don't know how long it's been since you've read our, our Constitution, which is the founding document. It is the guide that was set in place for our nation. But I encourage you to go back and do that. The preamble for our Constitution says this. We, the people, that's you and me, we, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, in other words, we have peace, to provide for the common defense, to promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, they included us, to ordain and establish, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. So when they were coming together, it wasn't, this is one of the first times in history, it wasn't a tyrant, it wasn't a, even a benevolent dictator, it wasn't a, a, a king over them, but for the first time there were people who were determining to govern themselves and were endeavoring to do their best to put things together in such a way. What they wanted to do, they, said they wanted to, to form a more, more perfect union. They didn't just want to have a union, a, an organization or a government where one group lorded over another group, but they wanted to have a, a, a more perfect union. They recognized their there could be flaws and there might be mistakes and there might be difficulties and challenges for this new government, but they wanted it to be a more perfect union. They were leaning into crafting something that would help create a nation that would be different and distinct and better than what had gone before. They said they wanted to establish justice. Recognizing that, that all men were made equal, there needed to be justice in our land. Things needed to be done in a law-abiding way. And they wanted to come together and join together in unity in order to establish domestic tranquility that within our borders that there could be a sense of peace and to provide for common defense in case someone from the outside or even someone within tried to stir up trouble and, and bring destruction or harm to people who call themselves citizens. They wanted to, to, to have a common defense. They wanted to promote the general welfare. They wanted to give the opportunity for people living in our country to generally have peace and welfare, to, to, to uh, live their life in, in a good way. And it says, and to secure the blessings of liberty, that liberty that they were now experiencing for themselves. And also, they had uh, a view towards their legacy and those that will be following after them. So they were, the things that they were putting together wasn't just for their own good. They weren't just living for themselves or working for themselves or putting themselves in jeopardy just so that they could live temporarily, but they were looking towards their posterity, to the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. And for that reason, they were ordaining and establishing a constitution for the United States of America. We've been blessed. I was blessed to hear how, how they came together from these different colonies and how they prayerfully considered. And, and uh, uh, John Adams wrote back to his wife with such excitement because when they prayed for those two hours and then spent time in the Word of God that he took hold of 
of Psalm 35, and they had studied that out together. Psalm 35 was written by King David, and, and in that, he talks about how, um, how he believed that God would be his defender and protect him against those who were doing evil towards him because he felt like he was just, and God would surely stand in his defense and, and wage war on his behalf against the adversary that was coming against him. And our early fathers of our nation took and studied that passage and John Adams wrote to his wife and he was so excited about what was happening in prayer and the sense of the presence of the Lord with them. And then he said, he encouraged his wife, go and read Psalm 35 and see how these scriptures are, are inspiring us that we're convinced because of what we're doing and the heart for which we're doing it that, that God's going to stand behind us and God's going to help defend us. And even though from their perspective, and we may describe it this way, that there was a bunch of farmers getting ready to take on the Navy SEALs with regards to the British troops and also the, the uh, uh, was it, who was it, the Hessians that had been hired? The Hessians who had been hired by King George to come and fight against the Americans. These were hardened military, trained military, and yet these, this young nation was having to rise up and stand against them. But, but John Adams declared that he was sure that God would stand with them and give them the victory over, over those that were against them at that time. What an amazing history. What an amazing history. Um, you know, I don't know when we say that America is great, I don't know what that means to you. What, what does it mean to you when we say that America is a great nation? What, what is it that we take hold of? What, what makes us great? There are certain things we may ascribe to, well, America is great because we have a great economy. You know, that is true. We've been blessed with a great economy, one of the most powerful economies that's ever been seen in the earth. America's great because we have a, a great military, the strongest military in all the world. America's great because we've got amazing scenic beauty. You can travel around this nation from sea to shining sea and the... the you know, I've, I've traveled through Oklahoma and Kansas and seen those huge fields of grain out there just waving in the breeze and the combines going out through the fields, just really beautiful. And the, the mountains, the Rockies and, and our Smoky Mountains and there's so many places. Have you ever been up in uh, uh, the Poconos? I was up at the Poconos one year for a seminar and the trees were, were changing and the beauty of, of the colors of the trees up there. I've never been to Niagara, and there's a plenty of places that I haven't seen. Some of you may have been there. Some of you may be going. Some of you may have gone to those places and seen beautiful things. Every morning, we're blessed with a sunrise and a sunset. The hummingbirds are out there buzzing around the hummingbird thing. I was watching them this morning. And, and we're blessed with beauty in many different ways. Sometimes it's just the clouds up in the sky, just the taking and looking at a little flower that's right in front of us. But we're a blessed nation. We've been given a beautiful nation. What defines us as being a great nation? Is it the fact that we can dominate the other nations when it comes to sports? The U.S. women's soccer team is out there right now, and they're plowing through. I think they made it to the quarterfinals. Is that right? What's that? Semis. Okay, I thought they had gotten through. But anyhow, they're in the semis. Is it just our strength 
as a people? Is it, our, is it the things we've been... What, what is it that makes us a great nation? Around the world, if we take our wealth and we use it to manipulate and control, are we a great nation? If we take our military might and impose our will on other nations, are we a great nation? You know, just because I can remember back in the 70s and 80s, which that seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? Um, I remember when, when we would go to the Olympics and it was the USSR versus. And we have to win. We got to beat them because if we beat them, then we are a better nation than they are. You know, and they were doing their best to beat us, but that really doesn't define us as being great. You know, and really when you look at the beauty of our nation, we have an amazing expanse. We have an east coast and a west coast, so we get sunrise and sunset on both sides of our, our nation with a coastal view. And we've got the mountains and the plains and, and all the things, the Grand Canyon and all these amazing type of things. But you can travel around the world and find some very beautiful places in, in, in other countries as well. God's blessed this earth with amazing beauty. Even the deserts can be beautiful. So it's not just the beauty of our nation that defines us as being a great nation. When it comes down to our population, I struggle with this one because I was right here not long before the sermon trying to define the uh, percentages. Someone might do this for me, but there are there is seven approximately 7.3 billion people in the earth and out of that population it said that what i saw this morning said that we have approximately 327 million so that's a large nation compared to the world but we're not the largest nation by population in the world by by any somebody somebody who's good with a calculator just work that up real quick and find out what percentage of the the earth we actually are 7.3 billion to 327 million. You're right in there. I had 22, 20 something. Your Pastor Eric just boom. I remember years ago, Pastor and I were sitting in the office over there working with someone regarding a lease on a copier, and that lady punched in her on her calculator what the lease was going to be how much it would work out and pastor eric said i don't think that's right you might need to punch it in and she's like i just did it on the calculator he said try it again and sure enough when she punched it in she came out to what he had come out to in his head in just that amount of time it isn't about 21 22 something like that anybody got it mm -hmm. right there it's not our numbers that make us great so what makes this nation great compared to the rest of the world There are certain gifts and things that have been given to us. One of those things is our ability to have liberty. That core value that we have life, that we value life, that we, have, we, we uh, see each person as having the, the right to have at least a measure of liberty as long as they're not encroaching on somebody else's liberty, that liberty is a, a, a preserved value. And then the fact that we believe people should have the right to pursue happiness to live a joyful life. It's, it's something that we value as a nation. So we, we value liberty. We value freedom. I trust that we also value morality. That we have to be a governed nation. There have to, has to be laws in place that determine right and wrong. If we ever decide that 
if we ever determine that, that we have, that, that we no longer believe it's important to be governed by laws, if, if we don't feel like that we need to be governed by laws and somehow that's something for somebody else and not for, not for ourselves, that all of a sudden our framework of our nation begins to be devalued, it begins to fall apart. And what happens is people that have power end up trampling over people that don't have power. So we must be governed by laws. Another thing that, that our laws, the way we live our lives, have to be in line with God's law. Because ultimately there's been nations around this world that have been established, they've been powerful, they've been effective. It's amazing. You can study, if you study history and archaeology, you can find huge civilizations around the world, Machu Picchu and, and other places. I'm, I'm not even going to try to go to the names because I'm, even though I know where they are, I'm going to stumble over them. I've tried to do it right now. But there are places where there have been great civilizations and great cities, but you go there today and it's just ruins. Something happened. They don't know if sometimes it could have been plagues or, or disease or sometimes just the simplicity that the population grew so much that they ran out of water. And there's other times where just the crumble due to the corruption of the nation, the corruption of the laws, the corruption of, of how the people lived ended up just causing the whole civilization to fall apart. And I've been studying this, this uh, last week. Uh, I've been going through kings in my my annual reading through the Bible. Um, and I've been challenged by some things. We're going to go there in just a little bit. I just wanted to tell you, um, every one of us has got a certain perspective on what it means to be a citizen of this nation. I, I dare say just about everybody here was blessed to be born a citizen of this nation. We all know that there are people all around the world that would love to come here. Some through legal means, some through illegal means. They're trying to get here. Why? Because they see this place as a place of opportunity. They see this place as a place of hope. I'm probably, I'm probably, the, is anybody else here that was not born in the United States? I'm a foreigner. I have a, a kind of a unique perspective on citizenship with regards to our body, at least for those who are here this morning, because on one side of my family, on one side of my family, my heritage goes back, way back into the 17-somethings through the Tidewater area and, and uh, some folk that came from England to that area and lived and settled up there. I just found out this week that in the northeastern North Carolina and the Tidewater area, they had settled in there. Uh, latter years of, of the last century, some of my relatives went back up there and, and did some land development up there in the Virginia Beach and Chesapeake area. So on my mom's side of the family, I've got these deep roots as an American citizen. On my dad's side, he's a first-generation American. My dad was originally from New Zealand, born in New Zealand, raised in Africa. When he was 17 years of age, he made the ocean voyage across to the U.S., Landed in New York City and tried to figure out what this land was all about. He went shopping and spent way too much because he didn't know pricing. He spent way too much for his first pair of dress pants. He had worn shorts over in Africa and he needed some long pants to go to Bible school. 
And uh, so on the other side of my family, I'm an immigrant. Uh, after mom and dad got married, she told me this week, she said, I didn't realize that I'd married an immigrant. Never even, <laughs> never even occurred to me, she said. And then we got married and his school visa had run out and all of a sudden he had to start pursuing uh, his American citizenship. And he said, that guy was real hard on him. The guy, my dad had to travel back and forward to Atlanta to go take care of paperwork. And that, he had to go, he left New Zealand when he was 11 years old, but they made him get a police record from New Zealand, even though he was only 11, to say that he didn't have any criminal offenses or anything like that. And he made him contact the police over in Africa and get in, in Zambia and, and get a police record from them saying he wasn't a criminal over there. You know, he, they said that that guy was so hard on him. And then, then uh, when he got done, the guy kind of lightened up and congratulated him and told him that, that his mom was Pentecostal holiness. And so they were in, in the same church organization, but he was holding his feet to the fire during the process. And so as my parents left the U.S. and went to Africa, after a few years, this young man came along. I was born in Africa to parents who were both American citizens. And so I have this long legacy as an American, and then I've got this immigrant side that became an American citizen. Then I'm born over in Africa with dual citizenship. I've always carried American pass an American passport, always considered myself an American, but literally at age 21, I had to decide, do you want to be an American citizen or be a South African citizen? Because that was the country of birth. And so I had no choice and then someone chose before me, and then it came a time in my life where I had to choose. But when you look around the world, I don't know of any country in the world that affords you the ability to live free and to live in a prosperous nation and even the, the ability to travel broadly around the world than the United States does. And I can tell you, I know I've gone off a little David List tangent right here, but I can tell you this, I'm proud to be an American. Uh, by lineage, by my dad's efforts, by my choice. I'm an American citizen. So I've, I've seen beautiful things around the world. I've seen amazing things. I've had opportunities to do that. But I can tell you there's, there's a great joy every time my feet land back on American soil when I walk back across into that airport and know I'm home. There is a peace, even with the turmoil that we have in our nation, even with the things that aren't right, I'm telling you, when you come into the United States of America, there is a different presence, a different sense. If you've traveled around the world and traveled to other countries, you can go to other countries, and it's fascinating, and it's amazing, and you can have great experiences. But the fact that we can have homes that don't have walled fences and don't have gates and we don't have to have barbed wire and some places they've got broken glass embedded in the concrete at the top of their walls and they've got bars on their windows and, and things like that the fact that we can have an open yard and that we leave our curtains open and we don't have bars on those windows some places out in the country we can still leave the doors unlocked for the better part of the day without a concern about somebody come walking in that's a blessing and we don't need to take it for granted I went back and I looked at, thinking about our nation, 
even though we've been blessed with so much, if we don't value and cherish what we've been given, it's so easy to let it slip away. And we can't do that. We have a moral crisis in our nation. We have a, a, a throwing off of authority, a throwing off of restraint. And I'm telling you, and you know this, if we don't have guidelines, if we don't have laws, if we don't have a moral perspective in our nation, then the next step is corruption. And, and as that progresses along, all of a sudden people will find a way to devalue and and uh, to, to value another group of people, and somebody will be oppressed. Somebody will be pushed down. Somebody will be taken advantage of. We've got to value that. Um, I went back and looked at, at Exodus when God, I felt like the Lord gave me a, a significant perspective. In Exodus chapter 18, God speaks to the people that he has rescued from slavery. He speaks to the people that he has drawn out of Egypt where all they had known for over 400 years was bondage and struggle and just trying to get by and just try to survive. And folks, there is such a, a pattern and a, a, a mirroring of where our nation came from. Why did they come here? They came here to get away from religious oppression they came here to get away from the servitude that was being forced upon them the, the serfdom that was over there they came to to have a country where they could be free to have a land where they could where they could self-determine what their life was going to be like God drew a, a people the children of Israel out of Egypt and, and brought them to a promised land a place of hope a place where they could develop a new identity and be the people of God and there are parallels, and, I, and, and David Barton would do a whole lot better job than I'm going to even attempt to do this morning. So I, I want to encourage you to go in and find that heritage again. Because, folks, there is this intentional rewriting of history. If you really ask, I mean, if you really think about it, I asked my, my kids at the house the other day, I said, who, who are the most powerful people in history? Who are the most powerful people in history? It's the people that write the history. When you think about it, because it doesn't matter what amount of evil or what amount of good somebody does, the people who write the history get to reinterpret and tell the story to the next generation. And they can take a very good person and malign them and make them look bad. They can take someone that may be in a certain, um, uh, the society is at a certain place, and that person may be pressing to, to do their best and to be their best and, and even move out of some of the things that are norm for the society, move out of them for the good. But when we look at our perspective, when our society has progressed along further, that we can look at that person and vilify them for the things that they didn't do right. Right now, our finding, founding fathers are maligned. They're run down. They don't even like to talk about them in school anymore. Our history has become a short history we no longer have the long history taught very much in school anymore we don't go back to the people who sacrificed and gave up their farms and their families and they were arrested for the fact that they were willing to put their name to a piece of paper that part of history is being erased and those people are being maligned when really they sacrificed all to be able to give us what we have I was amazed to find out some of the things I, I didn't know that even in our country, did you know that in Massachusetts that African-American people were 
have never been restricted with their ability to vote in Massachusetts. We, we had it wrong in a lot of places. There's a lot of things. But there were people who were active in, in even the, the determination on whether or not we would de declare our independence in Massachusetts. There were, there were African-American people who were voting at that time in that place. Again, we've, we've messed up in many ways, but we're moving forward because we've been given the opportunity in this nation to have a nation that should be a righteous nation, that should be a, a law-abiding nation, that should be pursuing for the equality of people and for the, the liberty and, and for people to be able to, to pursue happiness. But there, it's not that we need to rewrite history. We need to rediscover our history, both the good and bad of it. That that's where we came from. That's what we have fought through. That's, where we, that's why we are where we are today. But if we just kind of smudge it all out and excuse it, then, then all we are is just, I don't know, our nation has changed. You can see it's like there's this, feels like there's this huge assault against the foundations of our nations right now. We know what the Scripture says, that the foundations are destroyed. How does, it, how does any kind of structure stand? If our foundations are destroyed, then we don't know who we are. If our foundations are destroyed, we don't know why we're here. We don't even really know our foundations anymore as a nation. We need to go back and rediscover those foundations. But what we see creeping into, our, into our, our country and into our culture and what we're being bombarded with over television, what's, what's pummeling not only those of us who may not use a smartphone, but, but our younger generation lives on a smartphone. If you ask them a question, they don't wonder, well, maybe one day I'll find that out or maybe I'm going to go to the library and look it up. They don't think that maybe... In a couple of days, I'll get back to you on that. You ask a question, Google's got it. Wikipedia's got it, you know. I do that. I mean, that's where I am. I'm going to do that. It's an immediate information source, immediate information source. But what if the source is tainted? What if the Scripture is adjusted? Would we recognize it? I went to, uh, in, in reading through Kings and Chronicles and doing the annual reading, the chronological read through the Bible, right now we're in the place where it's going through Israel's been divided into two nations because of sinfulness. Because of Solomon's sinfulness, the nation has been divided. And now these kings for the northern kingdom are going through the cycles of rebellion to the Lord they did evil in the eyes of the Lord more so than their forefathers and so there's destruction that comes on them there are some families that when somebody rose up and took control of that that kingdom he went and eliminated all of the heritage every family member in that previous king's family all of those that were close to him just completely eliminated them and then that one when he came up God told him at the end of his days that his whole family would be eliminated not while you're alive but while your sons are here your whole lineage everybody associated with them would be eliminated can you imagine that just taken off of the face of the earth and you see that this the infiltration of sinfulness and the in, the intermarriage and the fact that 
that there was incorporation of other gods into Israel, even though God had been, I mean, Israel had been set apart, that God had called them to be a distinct and special nation. This infiltration and the, the culture becoming mixed with other things and how they're setting up altars to Baal and, and, and you know, the whole Baal worship thing where they're sacrificing their children to Baal and how they've got, they talked about how they had these fertility cults where there's male and female prostitutes and that was a part of worship in these temples and you think about the heritage of where Israel had come from and what God had called them to be and, and their purpose before God and yet they had fallen away so bad that God just has destined them God told them and said that they were going to be carried away into, into uh, a, a whole other land into captivity for 70 years they would suffer in captivity under another king these were the people of God called by his name they had received his word he had met with them on Mount Sinai but yet just little by little they had slid away they had taken things in you know it's not always the grand sins that get us it's the subtle little things that we allow to slip in and we make soft decisions and before long the soft decisions becomes just a way of life and then it's easier to adopt something else Would you turn with me to 1 Kings? See, I did go to the scripture. 1 Kings chapter 18. In the middle of all that corruption, of all that's going on, there was a man named Elijah. Thank the Lord for those who dedicate and devote themselves to the Lord. They're determined to stand against what's commonly accepted. That their standard is not even the laws of what's acceptable in a land. Our law is not the law of the land. Our, what governs our heart should be what governs what is given to us of God. Our standard is higher then just it's acceptable in our country to be able to do this or that. Our standard has to be higher than that because we're the people of God. And even though in, in Israel, and we're talk, when we're talking about Israel here, we're talking about the northern kingdom, even in Israel that there were so many practices that they were acceptable that the king's own people and the king's own household were involving themselves in this kind of worship and these kind of practices and things like that. Even though they were acceptable among the people, just because it's acceptable to the population doesn't mean it's okay for us as God's people. We live by a higher standard. Look, folks, we can't even just measure ourselves by the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is a school teacher to let us know what's right and wrong. But if we're really the people of God, if we've been saved and we've been drawn into fellowship with Him, that is the Holy Spirit at work inside of us that says, yes, do this, or no, don't do this. Because there may be something that at some time, it may be okay, but right now it's not a Holy Spirit-governed thing. He's saying, look, don't do that right now. It may be okay on any other day to go... Uh, this, this is silly, may seem trivial, but I want you to get the point. Maybe that on any other day, it may be okay to go down and 
go to Dunkin' Donuts and get a donut. Is that right or wrong? No, depending on your health perspective. It may not be right, but God may be saying today, Bojangles. Why? Because he's got somebody he needs you to talk to at Bojangles. Is it right or wrong? I can do whatever I want to do. Well, you can. But there's a good and then there's a best. And this may not be bad. It may be good. It may be okay. It may be acceptable. But God may be drawing us to do a best today because somebody's life may be in a crisis and they may need to be here an encouraging word or they may just need the smile that we give them. That may be just enough to help keep them above their head above water to where they might can make it through the day because somebody smiled to me and I don't have any other hope. And with that smile, there may be opportunity for a conversation that says, why are you so happy? I'm going through stuff. Why are you so happy? And we get to interject Jesus into their life. Dunkin' Donuts or Bojangles. Neither one are wrong, but are we being governed by the Lord? I know that may be a far cry from where, where some of us are thinking, and, and, but it should not be that our lives are just governed by am I doing right or am I doing wrong? Am I sliding off to that side today? That, that shouldn't be our standard. We should be governed and directed by the Lord. And I don't, if you don't have direction, let the principles and the foundation stand in your life and just do what you feel like you need to do. You don't have to, some, some Christians get, um, what's the term, analysis paralysis. They spend so much time trying to think about what they ought to do that they do nothing. That's not where God wants us to be either. Be the people of God, but in your living, be available to the Holy Spirit. Anyhow, getting back to the story in, in Kings 18, there's this man, Elijah, who's dedicated himself to the Lord. He's not been willing to bow his knees, not been willing to conform to what's become acceptable in the culture. He's stayed close to the Lord. And he finally goes, the Lord commands him to go and meet with Ahab, the king. Now, Ahab's looked in all the surrounding nations. He is made those kings of the other nations swear to him that they were not hiding this prophet. Even the kings of the other nations were fearful, and they had to promise that they weren't hiding him. And even the messenger who was Obadiah, not the prophet Obadiah, but a faithful man, Obadiah, even when, when Elijah told Obadiah to go tell Ahab that, he wanted, that Elijah wanted to meet with Ahab, he said, oh, you're sending me to my death. The king's going to kill me. But he's obedient and he goes. Look at verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab. This is from the NIV version. To meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. 17. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troublemaker of Israel? So this wicked, corrupt king looks at Elijah and blames him for all the troubles in, in Israel. I can take that as a template and just lay it right over top of our nation right now. They sit there and they point at the Christians and says, you make us feel bad because you uh, impose your standard on us. It's not our standard, it's God's standard. If we voice what God's word says, they're being rep you're repressing us. We're trying to keep you from punishment and judgment and the effects of the curses that are in God's word when you go back and read Deuteronomy 28 29 through 30 
And it talks about the blessings that would come for obeying God's law. And the curses that would come on people, if, on nations, that govern nations. That the curses that would come on the nations if they diverted from God's law. Folks, that was not just Israel. Those principles that God put in place with Israel are universal. They affect the nations around the world. Do you realize you can go through Isaiah, you can look at Deuteronomy, and you can see, specifically in Isaiah though, you can see that, that God is saying that he's going to judge this people, he's going to judge this nation because they violated these certain laws. Well, some of them, some of them are speaking about Israel and Judah, but other ones, they're talking about nations that weren't even a part of that. But because in our nation, if you violate a speeding law, you can get a ticket. If you violate the law within a jurisdiction, jurisdiction of a city, a police officer can pull you over or can arrest you for violating the laws of that city. If you go out and, and uh, there are certain federal laws that we're under the jurisdiction of the federal laws of our nation and there are federal authorities that can arrest you for breaking the federal law. But while we can sit here and we can step across the border into another nation and, and there may be things that are completely legal here, but you go into that nation, all of a sudden you realize you violated something, they can arrest you for it. You may not have even been aware, but you know ignorance of the law is no excuse. You violated the law of that nation. But universally, there is God's law. God as creator, sustainer. He is the beginning and the end. He put things in motion. He created laws that govern the universe. And when mankind in any nation, in any dominion, in any jurisdiction violates the law of God, they put themselves subject to, the, to judgment. It doesn't matter whether or not they are aware of it or not. It's a given law. The fact that they were not educated by their forefathers, is, they, don't, they don't, may not even realize that there's something on the inside of us. God gave us a conscience and there's something that stirs us and tells us this is not the right thing to do. This is the wrong thing to do. But sometimes even the, the impact of our consciences on us is eroded by the fact that our culture says it's okay, and so we justify our actions by, by the fact that the culture has said it's okay. So even though I have this tug and this thing on the inside that says don't do it, sometimes we think, well, everybody else is doing it, so it must be okay. So we justify ourselves, even though before the throne of God, we're not justified. So you find that in Isaiah that again and again there are are messages that are coming forth from the prophet there and he says that this people is going to be judged because they have done these things they have taken advantage of the people that that couldn't voice for themselves or were who, who couldn't stand up for themselves they have been deceitful in their actions towards my people therefore there's judgment coming on them there are laws that govern the universe and when men aren't in line with that then judgment comes again look at look at um the passages in, in Exodus, um, and you'll see those. I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 28, 29, 30. You'll see that. So, back to Kings 18. You find Isaiah, Elijah, sorry. And he's wanting to meet with Ahab. And Ahab says, you're the troublemaker. No, no. Elijah was a messenger trying to steer a nation back to how they should be living for the Lord. Ahab's pointing the finger and said, you're the troublemaker. Then, then in verse 18, Elijah responds and says, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and followed Baals. If you go back and you study what the, the worship of Baal entailed and how human 
humanity can acclimate himself to such wickedness in somehow thinking that it is okay. It's hard to imagine that, but that's just how deeply corrupted mankind can become. And, and then, then Elijah says, Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet at Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Ashtoreth who eat at Jezebel's table, Jezebel being Ahab's wife. So Abraham sent word throughout Israel and assembled the prophets at Mount Carmel. <coughs> Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord's God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And said, but the people said nothing. So he, Elijah goes on and said, I am, he said, am I the only one of the Lord's prophets left? Am I the only one? Look. We know, if you continue reading the passage, he wasn't the only one. God had hidden prophets away. There were still prophets. He says later on, I believe it was 7,000 that he said that had been, kept themselves faithful to the Lord. There were still 7,000 out there. But I'm going to tell you, when you come into a place of conflict, you feel like you're standing alone. There may be times when you have to face something in your job where there's deceit, or deception, or someone taking advantage of somebody else, or a political move by somebody. It, it can be that in your own family, that everybody else is okay with something, and you're the only one who's raising a standard and saying, but we shouldn't be doing this, folks. We shouldn't be allowing this in our, in our home. This should not be a, a part of our heritage. This should not be a part of our lineage. You may feel like you're standing alone. The enemy will do his best to make us feel isolated because he wants to squash us down keep us down but I just want to take a moment and say this you are not alone you're not alone raise the standard of the Lord Elijah had 450 prophets plus another 400 and he was having to stand up there alone before Ahab the king who had the right to snuff out his life if he wanted to and all the people who were gathered there who had been participating in these practices and one was standing up there against him Am I alone? <clears throat> then he says, get two bulls for us. Let them choose for, the, for themselves. I don't want to go through and read that whole, whole uh, passage, but you know, they're going to they're build an altar. They're going to put the wood on the altar. They're gonna, he's going to let those prophets choose which bull is best and choose. He's going to let them go first to give them the opportunity to show whether their God is God. And then they cut up the bull and put it on the altar. It talks about all the incantations that they did and the chanting and all the things that they did, dancing around. And finally, uh, the, Elijah begins. They started in the morning and they went all the way through midday. And Elijah starts saying, well, you know, maybe he's kind of hard of hearing and, and may, maybe he's gone on vacation. You need to call out a little bit. I mean, surely he's God. If he's God, then he ought to be able to hear you. But maybe you just need to holler out a little bit more. And if you look at some of the translations, it even goes so far as to say, well, maybe, maybe he's... Maybe he's in the bathroom, you know. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. I mean, he's really digging him pretty good. It says that they start cutting themselves and making themselves bleed, as was a common practice when they were worshiping these gods. These gods are making, you know, their worship is, you know, any kind of worship that's making you, is that really, God said he created us in his image. God created us in his image. 
He loves humanity. But Elijah stands up and he says, look, the God who answers with fire, he is God. Then Elijah gets his turn because there had been no response. It says, it says in this version in verse 20, 29, he said, but there was no response. No one answered and no one, there was no one to pay attention to the prophets of Baal. They had built up this system of worship, this system of manipulation and control. Really, it was designed to draw the people away from the true worship of God so that Ahab and, and his ancestors could do what they wanted to do with the people to keep control, to keep the children of Israel from going back to Jerusalem to worship the Lord of the temple. They didn't want them worshiping the true God. As long as they could keep them involved in the worship over here on all these pagan, the, the pagan gods, then they could control the nation. But it says in verse 30 that Elijah said to the people, come here to me. This one man taking a stand, come here to me. They came to him and he prepared the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. You know, there's scripture in the Bible, and we're so familiar with it, but it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. If they'll turn from their wicked ways, seek my face, then will I hear from heaven and will heal their land. We've got to repair the altar. Folks, prayer should be a part of our life. Worship for the Lord should be a part of our life. Every, uh, every stone that, that Elijah put together to form that altar was significant. The 12 stones representing the 12 tribes. Refocusing the identity of the nation of Israel that they would recognize that they were the people of God. Our nation needs to recognize the significance of who we are, but our, our foundations have been so far eroded, we don't really know who we are. We don't know why we should be proud of our nation, not some puffed-up kind of proud because we're better than other nations. You know, God challenged Israel about it. They said, look, don't think I chose you because somehow you were better than other nations. You're just a little small, insignificant nation. Our nation is great because our nation has been blessed by the Lord. It was the foundation for our nation that helped, that helped provide, provide the, 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 the sure footing that we stand on today. But we don't need to take that for granted. It can be eroded away. Elijah reestablished the altar, which was in ruins. He said he took the 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended of Jacob, <clears throat> to whom the word of the Lord had come. Your name shall be Israel. And he goes through, and then he also, he also uh, sacrificed, he put the wood on the altar, and then he took that bull, and he cut up that bull, and he stuck it up on the altar. And then just so there was no mistaking that this was an act of man or somehow there was some kind of trickery involved in it or something like that, he said, go get four water jugs of water. And they came and took water and poured it up on top of that altar, on top of that meat, and on top of that wood. And it just, it, he said, go do it again. And so he took and he pour, they poured water up on top of that thing again. And when they got through the second time, this soaking, sopping sacrifice that's lying up there, the altar that's dripping wet, he said, go do it a third time. And so they get, went and got four more water jugs and, and poured it out on top of the altar. And from, a, from a, a lighting perspective, if you're ever trying to light a fire in the rain or you're trying to get out there in the snow or something like that, light a fire, it's hard to light something when there's humidity or when there's, it's wet. 
doesn't light. But he had said, the God who answers by fire, let him be the God. Israel had come to such a place of corruption that it took nothing more than a divine visitation and an encounter with the Almighty to change the perspective of the people. That preamble for our Constitution says, we, the people of the United States of America. They recognized, and the people who signed the Declaration of Independence, they recognized that by putting their name to that paper, that they were potentially subjecting themselves to imprisonment, they were subjecting themselves to the confiscation of their houses and their lands, they knew that they were putting their families in jeopardy, but yet they were willing to take a stand in order to establish a different kind of nation, that they could be a different kind of people with a different kind of liberty, with a different kind of purpose and a different kind of reason for being. And when they formed the Constitution, they said, we, the people, who? Not those people up in Washington, D.C., not those people in Raleigh, North Carolina, but we the people, wherever we are, wherever we're breathing, wherever our heart is pulsating, wherever we're standing, we take the responsibility. We're the ones who are going to do it. In the house of God. I thank the Lord that the example that we have here was there was a man, Elijah, who stood up and he, he, from his perspective, he felt like I'm all alone. But even if I have to stand alone, I'm going to stand. I'm going to go back and rebuild that altar. I'm going to stand in front of everybody else where everybody's glaring at me, staring at me. Everybody's wanting to see my demise. I'm going to be willing to stand up. I'll be the one to reestablish the altar of the Lord. I'll be the one to declare that there is only one God. I'll be the one who reestablishes the foundations. I believe the Spirit of the Lord is, is speaking to believers all across this nation, and we need to consider and say, Lord, we, the people, we are, if we are citizens of this nation, we have an obligation to our nation, and even greater so, we've got an obligation to our God that, that we be the people. I can't sit around and look at the news and complain about what's going on in Washington, D.C. or in Raleigh, North Carolina or in Wilson, North Carolina and say, those people, we need to call out and say, no, we the people, this is our land, this is our government, this is our, the place where we live. Are we going to let the they let it slide away? Are we going to point the fingers and, and sit in apathy and just be talking about things and... and, and uh, and, and all we're going to do is talk, or do we do something about it? We, the people. You may feel like you stand alone, but you're not alone. There's other people. There's just other people that need to get inspired to see somebody stand up, and they'll stand up. But are we waiting for somebody else? When we see somebody mistreating someone out of the, on the street, or we see somebody at a restaurant being mistreated, or we see someone at the grocery store being mistreated, whether it's a child being abused, or whether we see somebody strike another person, a man hitting a woman, or some type of violation, somebody stealing for somebody. Are we just going to 
turn our face away and go mind our own business? Or do we stand up for justice and righteousness? Is it the, the re- police's responsibility to deal with it? Ultimately, they have the ability to prosecute or, or I- incarcerate somebody, put them in jail. But folks, we're the people. If we don't hold the standard, who's, who's supposed to? We've got this mindset. We want the government to take every, care of everything. And then we complain about it when they do. But if we live the standard, if we establish the standard, we've got to put the foundation back in place. We are that people. From a spiritual perspective, a lot of times we're looking for someone else to reach that person for Jesus. We wish if somebody else would pray with that person, if somebody else would go over to that foreign country and reach out to them because they're going through through a difficult, hard time. If somebody else would do it. I'm going to tell you, from God's perspective, he said, I le- Jesus said, I left a people in the earth. I think we would hear heaven say, no, you're, you are that people. You are the ones I'm looking to. You are the ones I've made steward of my kingdom in the earth. You are the ones I've given authority to. I left my power with you. we the people not they we shouldn't be talking about what other things are going on if we're not doing something about it we need to be willing to do something about it how holy spirit would you guide us and direct us when the opportunity affords us to stand would you give us the courage and the strength to stand lord would you give us words to speak instead of drawing back and holding back and because of fear of man or fear of consequences? Because there may be a day when consequences come. But if consequences come, do we cease being the people? No, we're still the people. If there is no standard, whatever the population determines they want to be the standard would prevail. With Israel... They allowed corruption to creep in. They made soft decisions. They allowed prostitution and immorality and the worship of these idols. There's, there's a, a prevailing spirit in our nation. The spirit that uh, Scripture prophesies about it. We know about it. It's the spirit of lawlessness. Whatever standard is set, why should I have to abide by somebody else's standard? I'm going to throw it off. Your principle of morality doesn't stand. You, you can't tell me what to do with my life. And I'll just tell you, yes, you have the right to be self-determined, but you also have the right to the consequences that come along with it. Again, God's law is universal. It wasn't just for the children of Israel. It was a universal law. <coughs> and every nation, every people, every individual, we, we, we judge based on how we lined up with that. So, With regards to our nation, let's pray for our nation. Pray for our leadership. We need to pray for our president. We need to pray for every senator, no matter what side of the aisle they sit on. We need to pray for our judges because Scripture says the heart of the kings in the the hand of the Lord. They may not understand why, but it may be that a word of counsel, a, a dream in the middle of the night may turn their heart. So we need to be praying for them, praying for God to get a hold of them. We need to pray for our nation because I'm telling you, there are forces at work inside our nation and outside the nation that would love to see the United States minimized down to a third world country status. They do not want us to influence 
what their agenda is around the world. We need to pray for our nation. So I want to challenge you. As citizens of this earthly kingdom, and even more greatly so as citizens of a heavenly kingdom, let's be that people. Let's be that people. Will you stand with me and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Lord God. Lord, you blessed us to live in a nation that is, has an uncommon heritage, an uncommon place in history. God, we have been so greatly blessed. And Lord, we have seen cracks in the foundation. But God, our, our trust, Lord, that you will help us. Lord, we don't worship the United States of America. Lord, we recognize that the privilege that we do experience as a nation, your God, is just because of your blessings. So when we pray, God bless America, your God, it's not out of selfishness, your God, but it's not just looking to be blessed, but it's also a, a petition saying, God, would you help us to live in such a way that we're worthy of being blessed by you? And God, with the things that you've placed in our stewardship, and I, every person in this place, your God, every one of us has been given a, a stewardship as citizens, your God, and as people living today, Lord, as members of your kingdom. God, we've been given a stewardship, and Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, would you equip us? Would you enable us? And where needed, would you challenge us where we may be stumbling so that we can be the people that you've called us to be? Lord, we are that people. We are the ones to stand in the gap. Lord, we are the ones to be light in the darkness. We are the ones to pray that prayer that needs to be prayed. We are the ones to unlock that door that needs to be unlocked. And we're the ones to slam the door shut that shouldn't be there. We're the ones to take authority over darkness and cause it to bow its knee to the name of Jesus. We are the ones, your Lord, to reestablish the foundations, your God, within our own lives, your God, within our own households, your God, and within those who are, with those that are within our reach. We point people back to God. Lord, I pray that as we, that every household some way, Lord, would, would take a bit of time, your God, to go back and look at where we came from. To freshen our perspective, your God, to help us to come to an understanding of, of the heritage that we have. And Father, these men that, that crafted these documents and came together and put their lives on the line, Lord, that they weren't just selfish or greedy or trying to get positions of power for themselves. They were putting their lives on the line, your God, and they were doing their best to do it under your grace, Lord, that they were looking to you for guidance and looking to your word for principles. God, make this nation a great nation, not so that we can be proud and puffed up and excel above other peoples, your God, but so that we can be a blessing and so that we can continue to further your kingdom. And God, so that we can establish justice where there's not justice, your God, so that we can help the downtrodden, your Lord. God, so that we can be a blessing to those that we need to be a blessing to. And God, more than anything else, so that you can be glorified. We'll be that people, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
God bless America. May you have a blessed week. Enjoy your July 4th. Amen. God bless you. <laughs>